Barker, all three of them raised their own support. And so as a church, what we've been doing is we've been doing a live and silent auction for the last few years this year. It's on November the 19th. And I want you to mark your calendars because this is an outstanding event um, it's, it's well organized. They, they have a tremendous group of people together organizing it. The stuff that's being auctioned off is amazing. So Christmas shopping, okay? Get in your mind Christmas shopping. So it's November the 19th, starting at 6 o'clock. And we have a video to show you to describe pretty much what, uh, what our back-to-back staff does here at Grace Chapel. Here we are today, and I have a chance to sit down with Chris Cox, the Director of Impact Ministries, and a chance for him to share a little bit about what's happening in the Impact Ministry through Back to Back. So, Chris, with Back to Back Ministries, a lot of us are familiar with Back to Back through their um, role in international ministry, but there's a local component to that. Tell us a little bit about the vision of the local component to Back to Back Ministries. The uh, local component is called Impact. We have created this ministry that actually uh, was the backbone of Back to Back when it began. It was built from Jeff Greer's passion for the next generation and an ability to do youth ministry in an effective way. And then as that was continuing to grow, the international ministry started to grow as well. And so in the past 15 years or so, this has been a movement for the next generation locally to bridge the gap between youth culture and the church. And so we exist really to create resources and to be empower, able to empower the next generation. We've launched impact groups, which are evangelistic groups within the community. We also have this 121 experience, which is an event ministry that resources the next generation. And over this summer, we have begun to launch a, an elementary age ministry called Compass that partners with the Good News Club and after school program to be able to bring the gospel into the public school system. So what are the unique components or opportunities within the Impact Ministry? Well, specifically within the, the partnership to Grace Chapel, the components of the Impact Ministry include a partnership with Impact Groups for high school students, which are evangelistic outreach groups that uh, center on a high school students' shared passion, strength, interest with their peer group led by an adult mentor. And through that oversight, they begin to multiply groups and be able to bring students in from youth culture. Uh, we have four groups with Grace Chapel right now that are functioning, seeing a lot of different students that are beginning to, to come into the doors of Grace Chapel because of their shared interest with their peers and their mentors. This is overseen by our campus director, Kimmy Barker, who does a phenomenal job of being able to empower students, oversee mentors, and create a bridge between the youth culture and the student ministry of Grace Chapel that is a, a, a top-notch student ministry, in my opinion, that, that is really able to, to empower students. We partner with that, the 121 experiences, and, and really the reason that I'm sharing this on video instead of live is because I'm leading one of those events that your students, your children are at right now with 121 Experience Change, an event that we host to be able to resource the next generation through a weekend experience. And we do three of these uh, throughout the year. And then last, we have added a, this Compass ministry that I shared earlier under the oversight of Meredith Landers, our campus director here at Grace Chapel. And she partners with Good News Club at Mason Elementary Schools and Kings Elementary Schools, and she brings the gospel into an after-school program. And uh, one of the greatest things that we just heard recently is last week she shared the gospel with a group of students, and 10 of them confessed Christ 
in a public school atmosphere because of this partnership between Compass and Good News Club. So those are some of the practical ways that we're changing the face of Grace Chapel right now. So Chris, what do you see for the future for Impact Ministry? I see the, uh, the future of Impact is really uh, this central statement that we're going to do whatever it takes to empower a generation to live Christ with an eternal perspective. We want to resource this generation, so that means understanding the practical needs of this generation more, creating more leadership development opportunities, raising up more mentors, multiplying ourselves within more campuses. We've already launched at Southbrook Christian Church in Centerville. We have two or three other consultations that we're doing. We have 20 churches that are involved in 121. Uh, the Compass Ministry that Meredith is overseeing here at Grace Chapel is going to begin to, to multiply regionally. So we have practical avenues. Our goal in the next few months is to be able to offer more practical resources. But what, wherever we go, we want to be the heart uh, behind a movement in this next generation. So we want to be the faceless hands that are just holding this generation up, saying, take Jesus to your peers and to this next generation and change the world. Well, Chris, I appreciate you sharing all this. I think something that a lot of people don't know is that you and Meredith and Kimmy actually raised your support to be able to do this ministry and to partner with us and other churches in the area, um, that you raised your support. And that's really the purpose of the auction that's coming up, is for us to do something tangible to help even with that support. But I thank you for stepping out in faith and partnering with us. Um, is there anything you want to say about that experience? Yeah, it's our pleasure to serve. I mean, we, we serve God, and we trust Him to provide for us. And uh, if I said anything, it would be that God is blessing us continually from uh, the abilities of Kimmy and Meredith and their uh, passion and heart for this next generation and being able to partner with them, uh, that's a true blessing down to the willingness that your church would host an auction for us to be able to, to help provide for us. And the only thing that I would say in response is uh, your providing for us is just going to free us to run faster, run harder, and to build deeper into the next generation. So as you consider this partnership, just consider that you're not paying Chris Cox, you're not paying Kimmy, and you're not paying... Meredith, you're paying into the next generation leader because we're committed to a life that will raise them up. Yeah, it truly is an eternal investment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just paying bills. It's an eternal investment into the next generation. Sure. So thank you very much. No Appreciate it. It's really neat, too, because all of our high school students, our youth ministry, are on retreat. They're on a retreat this weekend with uh, the 121 Ministries, and uh, I'm sure having an incredible, incredible time there. But please uh, mark your calendars for November 19th. These guys, uh, again, they raise their own support. They're doing a tremendous job of ministry here at Grace Chapel. And we want to encourage them by, uh, by being there and just uh, coming around them at this time. This morning our, in our series, Conversations with a Happy Heathen, um, we're going to do something a little different. So many questions have been asked and answered, uh, thoughts and arguments have been expressed and debated and and uh, worldviews have, in a sense, collided over the last two months. But there are some spiritual truths that are hard to explain if you've actually never w been through them. I mean, we can talk, you know, we can debate, we can argue, but some of, those, some of those spiritual truths are just hard to explain unless a person has actually experienced uh, what we're talking about. The truth of answered prayer, the truth of the unity and the, and the fellowship of the body, inner peace and strength. 
I mean, those are things that unless you've experienced those, it's hard really to, to, to talk about them or debate those. The ability to overcome and use tragedy or adversity uh, to grow in your spiritual walk, to grow as a person, um, it's, it, they, they become an opportunity for growth for us who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that non-believers never have any of these experiences. They, they have some, obviously, gaining inner strength. Obviously, I believe that comes from God. But what I'm saying is that as a Christian, we experience these things in our lives all the time. This, is, this becomes part of our overall life experience. Now, it's not rare, obviously, for Christians to experience any of the things I just described. What is rare is to experience them all over a short period of time. All of those things I described over a short period of time. Um, this morning, I want to share with you one event that happened in my life. Um, one, one particular event that highlighted for me what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. What does it mean for me to walk with Jesus Christ? And this one event, this one story highlights that. I know when I'm finished that uh, people can, uh, they can, they can uh, dissect it and debate it and criticize it and explain it away. You can say it's just one family's experience. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, this, this story, this event uh, better explains uh, why I choose to follow Christ than any intellectual argument. It explains, for, it explains in my own life why I do choose to continue to follow Jesus Christ. I have all the arguments. I know the truth. I can debate or whatever the case may be. But over the last you know, 30 years of my life, why have I chosen to continue to follow Jesus Christ? And what I'm going to share with you is better than any debate that I can ever, any argument that I can ever use to, to prove the existence of God or, or Jesus Christ. Truth number one, God is there. God is there. About two years ago, I was, I was in Mexico when I was on a retreat with the high school students. And while I was on this retreat, we were all sitting down in a, in a building called the Palapa. A Palapa is kind of a grass, big hut thing uh, with a concrete floor with no walls sitting out there. And, and we just go down there and just have a worship time and a time where we can uh, learn the word of God. And so we're sitting around there and, and Brian Munafo, the youth pastor, is sharing with the students. And I'm, I'm in the circle and you know, I get a little tinge in my back. It doesn't really, didn't really mean much to me because I have a her, I've had a herniated disc since I was 14 years old. And, you know, it, it's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older, believe it or not. This thing's ringing. Um, it's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older. But, you know, it, it does act up if I sit too long or if I stand too long. Sometimes you'll see me bending down and stretching after the service because I've been standing up here for the last few hours. And so it didn't, I didn't give much thought to it. And as time went on, it, the pain got a little worse, and, and I thought, boy, I, I really wanted to get up. I was hoping I could just maybe get up. You know how you feel if you're sitting down for too long, you just want to get up and move around? I felt like if I could just go over and lay in the grass and stretch a little bit or get myself in a different position, that that would make a difference. So as the minutes passed, the pain got worse and worse and worse. I've never felt anything like this in my life before. And it wasn't so severe, but it was one of those things where I couldn't get in a position to make the pain go away. And no matter what position I found myself in, uh, didn't help at all. I didn't help at all. So the meeting was over. We went up to uh, the, the main, uh, main facility where they're in Mexico with back-to-back. And, uh, and I was talking to Brian Monofo about the pain, kind of explaining to him what I was going through. And he started telling me a story about his uncle who had recently passed a kidney stone. 
And I thought, well, that really lines up with what I'm feeling. Uh, never, I've never passed a kidney stone or anything like that before, but it kind of lines up with his uncle's experience and what I was experiencing. They sounded kind of similar. So I went up to the room where Deb was, and I explained to her what I was feeling, what I was going through, and she tried to help as best she could. Why don't you sit here? Why don't you do this? How can I help you? And nothing that anyone could do could stop this pain. It was at this point where I, my story really begins. Deb and Josh were with me, and we hadn't, uh, we hadn't been in Mexico together since we adopted Joshua. We didn't want to take him back into the country for the first few years. He was very little, and so um, we waited for a few years, took him back into the country. So this was the first time that Deb was with me in years when we were in Mexico. Um, and it was, that was, again, for me, it was truly amazing. I really needed her to be there at this time for obvious reasons, and I'll share the obvious reasons as I go on here. Uh, all my Christian life, though, um, through good and through bad, all through it, God was always there. God was always showing himself in very clear ways. Now, you can say, well, your wife being in Mexico was fortunate, but it wasn't supernatural. I mean, it wasn't like God intervened or something. Um, it, was just, it was just a fortunate kind of thing. But in the context of my entire story, um, it, it's more than fortunate that Deb was with me, way more than fortunate that Deb was with me. And when, we, when, when you start to see God move from the beginning of your Christian walk to the, to, until the day I'm standing here right now, when you see God consistently moving in your life, it's more than fortunate. When you begin to see patterns, it becomes something more. When you see, begin to see patterns in your life where when you go through certain things, certain events happen, and whether, whether it's, you know, the pain is taken away or something is healed, uh, you see patterns of intervention. And when that happens, it is more than just fortunate. God has always been there in my life. From when I was a baby Christian until this point, God has always consistently been there to help me in my life. I remember we were in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and Jen, uh, Kim was uh, two and a half, and Jen was just turned, uh, well, Kim was two, and Jen was, was one. She had just turned one, year, one, year, one years old. And um, we, were, we were in this house in Marblehead, and Deb was sleeping upstairs. I had gotten up early with Jen, and Jen was in a diaper, and that's all she had on. Her rest of her body was exposed, and I was, was playing with her, and I put her on the ground, and she was, she was able to walk and start crawling up on things, get up on things. And so she was just crawling around, and I was watching her. And the night before, I had put a glass, a tall glass, at the end of the couch. Now, before I go on with the story, Jennifer, our daughter, Jen, has keloids, which means she scars very easily. She got a scar from, you know those pajamas, they have a little elastic on there? Well, one night the elastic rubbed back and forth and just rubbed and made it like, so, like a sore, but the sore turned into a scar. It didn't even break the skin, but the, her keloids, because it was really rough right there, she has a little scar on her wrist. So she scars very, very easily, and, we, and Deb and I both knew that. So she gets up on the couch, and before I could, before I could turn around and see what she was doing, she, she fell over off the couch, off the edge of the couch, and landed face first on the glass, on the, that glass. Her, her head broke the glass, and then her entire body landed on the broken glass. So it was like the head hit it, the glass broke, her body fell on the glass, broke the rest of it. And so if you can just put yourself in my position as a parent, knowing that you have this one-year-old, this little, I mean, babies, obviously, many of you had babies, have very tender skin. 
And when you put a baby with no clothes on, except for a diaper, on broken glass when they fell on it, uh, bad things happen. And I'm sitting there, and my life just stood still. It was just like standing, everything just stopped. And I ran over as fast as I could, and Deb heard the broken glass and the, and the big bang, and I was holding Jen, and she came running downstairs, and, and, and I, it, was, it was like I was waiting to see the blood, I was waiting to see the, the cuts, I was just beside myself. And as we, we checked her over, frantically checked her over, we went through all par- every part of her body, and there wasn't a cut on her. I mean, all she had was a little welt on the top of her head where her face hit the glass and broke the glass when she fell on it. There was no, there was no, no, no blood, no cuts, no, no abrasions, nothing, not even a bruise. Now, when that kind of experience happens to you, um, and I believe with all of my heart, and again, people can debate and argue, but I believe an angel basically had Jen between, uh, bet- hand between the glass and my, my baby, because you cannot physically, scientifically explain how a child like that can fall on broken glass and not even get the slightest scratch. Not even a scratch. It wasn't like it dug into her skin, not even a scratch. God has been with me all of my life through the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. In Psalm 116, 1 through 7, it says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave come upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And the Lord has been good to me. The Lord has been good to me. That's all I have to say. He's been good to me. God has always been there for me. Now, now you say, well, man, your life must be one big cakewalk. Of course, my life's not a cakewalk. You've heard me preach for years now. Uh, It hasn't been a cakewalk. But you know what? Have have I gone through tragedy in my life? Of course I have. Have people around me died? Have people suffered? Have I suffered? Have my family suffered? Sure we have. But you know what? Through it all, through all the ups and all the downs and all the struggles and all the turmoil and all the things that we've been through in our lives, God has been there consistently. He's been there consistently. Well, the pain was becoming overbearing. It was unbelievable. For the first time in my life, I uttered the words to my wife or anyone else, take me to the hospital. I mean, I I, I gotta tell you, that was like, those words I I thought would never come out of my mouth. They could, someone could drag me to the hospital. Someone else can make the decision to take me to the hospital. But I had never said and never thought about saying, take me to the hospital, Um, especially take me to the hospital when I'm in Mexico, okay? No offense to be in Mexican hospitals, but I really didn't want to go to a Mexican hospital. Now, even though we're in Monterey where they have decent hospitals, um, but I was in so much pain. I didn't know what to do. And I knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and I said, take me to the hospital. At that point, Deb knew that something was really wrong. And so be, being the fact that we were in Mexico and there was nothing we could really do, she called out the back-to-back staff. That She called them up and, and they were there. They were there. Truth number two. Truth number two. No one can do this life alone. Okay? 
No one can do this life alone. It is way too difficult. I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong you think you are. If you try to do this life alone, you're going to go mad. Um, you know, we are meant to be together and to, to help each other and to have fellowship with each other. You are not meant to be alone. You can't do this life alone. There, there, there will be times in your life that you need to depend on others. There will, there will be times, if you haven't experienced it already, there will be times in your life. And if you've, any, everyone here has been sick. When you've been really, really sick, not with, with kidney stones or whatever else, but really sick, you know that you need to depend on others. You need to depend on, on other people. In the Bible, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands can, cannot quickly be broken. The Bible tells us to love each other, to truly love each other and to put each other first. And I saw that truth during this experience. We had no car and it was late at night and we called on some of the missionaries there and Steve and Matt were on call that night and they came. And you know how you call, you ask for help and the person that you're asking for help from, they, they make you kind of feel guilty. You know, honestly, I don't care if they're missionaries or pastors or nice folks. When you call someone really late at night and they have to get up out of bed, and they were ready, they were, had a long day already with a bunch of groups coming in, and now they have to take you to the hospital. It, they were so kind. They made me feel so good. It was like a privilege for them to help us. And there's a difference, that fellowship, that unity of the body when you feel it, when people come around you and you know that they are there to help and support you. So they got the car ready and they took us to the hospital. I never felt alone for one moment in that entire experience. And this, from beginning to the end of this experience that I will share with you, I never felt alone for a moment. They took us to the hospital. They waited for us there. Went through that whole experience in the hospital in Mexico. Good folks. Uh, excellent folks there who helped me out. Um, and then they, after that was finished, we got a prescription from that hospital. We, they took us to the pharmacy, uh, helped us out, with, out there at the pharmacy, and they brought us back to our facility. The longest night I've ever had in my entire life. It was the most excruciating night, and I couldn't take that medication because I was consistently throwing up all night long. If anything got near my mouth, it came out of my mouth, and I was up. I was up. The funny thing was, there was a pregnant woman who was in the room next to us, and the two of us kept on meeting each other in the hallway all night long. You know, I'm like, hey, lady, hold it, okay? I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. She, she was, uh, she was uh, pregnant, so she was going to the bathroom, but I needed to go to the bathroom to throw up, so I ended up going outside half the time and throwing up. Uh, but it was just an excruciating, excruciating night. And the next morning, things got no better at all. Truth number three, life is made up of simple God moments. Your entire life is made up of simple God moments, whether you're Christian or you're not. One just acknowledges, and as Christians, we sometimes don't acknowledge either, but one acknowledges it and the other doesn't. But life is made up of simple God moments. Moments that we often take for granted, even as believers. Let me give you an example. When I went to the hospital and they drove me to the hospital, there was no one else in the emergency room the entire time I was there. I mean, ever been to the emergency room? Anybody ever been to the emergency room with your kids or yourself? Anybody been there? How long have you waited? An hour? Half hour? An hour and a half? You're sitting there, you could be bleeding, okay, laying on the ground, you know, and they call your number like you're at the supermarket or something for like, you know, on the, on the, the, the line. It's, it, it, 
you're, you're usually sitting there. Can you imagine sitting in, in a hospital out of the country for an hour and a half when you're going through the experience I was going through? No one else was there. I walked in. They took me. I was the only person in the hospital the entire time I was there. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They carried our luggage. When we got back to the, the, to the back-to-back facility, they carried our luggage at 5.30 in the morning. People got up, and it wasn't even the staff. It was someone else who was staying there, another Christian who was staying next to us in the, in the, in the, in the facility. Got up at 5.30 in the morning when they heard us. They knew what was going on, and they carried our luggage down to the car. Thank you, God. You have no idea. I mean, some of you may, but when, you, when you're going through something that painful, the last thing you want to do is lug your take your luggage down the stairs and, and drag it out to the car. Very difficult. They got everything in the car for us, and it was just like, thank you, God. Um, I got to the airport. They drove us to the airport, got to the airport, and I was spending my time in the bathroom most of the time throwing up. And before I went in to throw up in this Mexico airport, they went in and cleaned the bathrooms. I w- Thank, thank you. Thank you, God. Okay, I'm sorry. I was like, I was like worshiping. I was like, you know, I want to sing songs of praise because I don't know about you. I, would, I, was, I was throwing up in every bathroom from Mexico to the United States. And the last thing I want to do, I've been, you've been, if you've ever been in a foreign country, some of those bathrooms, okay, even in, in this country, forget it. It's like the side of the road you pull off and the women go in there and she go, I'm holding it. I'm not going in there. You know, they just open the door and they're like, and, and imagine having to, you know, throw up in those toilets with, you know, with no one cleaning them. So I was like, oh, thank you, God. The bathrooms are clean. Someone just had cleaned the bathrooms. The guy was walking out of the stall as I was walking in. You may think, no big deal. I'm praising God, okay? I was praising God in heaven. Uh, the interns, when we got to the airport, stayed with us. They carried our luggage. Um, they had to go on a flight, too. So they carried our luggage all the way through all the way through the airport, right till we got to the gate there where we were going to fly out. They were there the entire time. They went and helped Deb. They went with Josh. They were incredible. And all I could say is, thank you, God. They were, there were people around us the entire time. The moment we needed help, there was someone there, someone there, someone there walking through this experience all the way through. It didn't take all my pain away, but I'm going to tell you something. From that point in the experience, it could have been a horrifying experience. Instead, there were people there helping. Josh was a really good boy that day, the entire time. He was so good. He was trying to carry things for us. He was just being so good. Now, if you're a parent of a three-and-a-half-year-old or four-year-old, you know how important it would be if your husband, for example, has kidney stones and he's trying to get through the airports on the way home and your three- or four-year-old's acting up and carrying on and screaming and crying and making a scene. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Deb to to experience that or for me, the stress he was, he was so good the entire time. And I can say is those simple God moments, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for allowing Josh to be that way during that time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says this, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says always, all, continually, Because life is made up of simple God moments, and we most often miss them, and we miss the opportunity to meet God in them and to thank God for them. 
I mean, how many things do we go through in our lives? And I was driving here this morning, and I was coming down, I was coming down Tylersville Road, and there was a jogger, and I didn't see her. And, she, and I, had the, I had the green light and the turning hour light to come on 42. And I was, I was paying attention, and it was, it was never a time where I just had to slam the brakes on. But I drove, I drove through, and that person had their headphones on and just ran right across the street. Now, you could think, well, you didn't come, I, I was maybe within 15 feet of the person, but you know, how many times, and you don't have to raise your hand, have you reached down for your fries or not been paying attention or the sunlight is hitting you in the face or whatever the case may be, and you really can't see that well? And has some jogger come out, I, I went past and I thought to myself, I mean, there was, I mean, it wouldn't be impossible for me to have been distracted in some way and hit someone when they run right out in front of you. I mean, she ran right out in front of me. Now, I, I was obviously saw her and moved to the middle lane and went around. But I'll, on the way down here, I was thanking God. I, was, I said, thank you, God. Thank you, for God, for not making sure I was paying attention to this. Because can you imagine coming here on Sunday morning, hitting someone along on the way? That, that ruined your morning, I'm telling you, friends. That ruined your <laughs> That'll ruin your day, okay? If you hit someone, it'll ruin their day as well. And God intervenes. How many times have you been in a car where you looked up at the last moment and they were able to put your brakes on? And you're like, why did, I, why did I look up? Right? We don't thank God. We just, well, boy, that was lucky. That was fortunate. It's not always luck and fortune, my friends. It's God intervening in our lives so often. And we need to thank him for those experiences. I met God all along the way. I met God in my pain all the way through. I experienced God in my pain. Truth number four. Truth number four. Peace has power. Peace. I'm going to tell you something. Peace has power. The pain was so bad that I needed to remind myself over and over again, this is going to pass. This is going to pass figuratively and literally, okay? It's going to pass. This will be over at some point. I had to keep talking to myself and talking to myself about it. The pain, the pain w w was so uh, unbearable. Now, I got to explain something to you before I kind of go on. People think when they think of kidney stones, they have the wrong idea of what causes the pain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear up what causes the pain of a kidney stone. The, the pain of a kidney stone is going from your kidney to your bladder, okay? That's what causes the pain. The rest of it, no big deal. It is, it is moving from out of your kidney into your, and going through it into your bladder. That is unbelievable pain when something that large is going through something, a, a, a tube that small. There's the pain ripping through there. That's why you're in so much pain. That's where I was going through. And, and it was amazing to me how God continued to intervene in my life. There is peace. Peace has power. In Psalm chapter 29 and verse 11, it reminds us of this. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. He blesses his people with peace. There's a peace that you can have when you know that you're not alone. There's a peace that you receive when you know in your mind, when you know in your heart, when you know in reality that you are not alone. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone, and that can give you peace. Things may be out of your hands, but they're never out of his hands. And I knew that. I knew that. And they may be out of my hands, but, but there's the, a the peace that comes from knowing that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, that you belong to him, that you are his. There's a peace that comes with that. No matter what happens in your life, that you belong to God, that you are his. It's not about, listen, it's not about knowing that it's all going to work out for you the way you want it to. 
You know, it's not about knowing it's all going to work out because sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want it to. But you can still have peace. You can still have peace no matter what the circumstances. Paul said, I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. All things to Christ. You can have peace no matter what your circumstances because life is not random chance. Life is not all luck. God has a plan. There is a purpose. And God can use every experience in your life to help you grow and to glorify himself. God can do that. And you can have peace knowing that your God is in control regardless if you're in control or not. And this experience showed me this in profound ways in a very, very, very short period of time. I experienced all of these truths in a very short period of time. I had the strength to control my body. I had the strength to control my body through that peace. And you say, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to tell you something. When you experience that kind of pain and you're in that situation that I was in, you, and you speak to yourself and you're saying, you know, you're saying, God, help me. Help me to be calm. Don't let me lose physical control because I'm telling you something. I'm a very strong person. I can take a lot of pain, but that pain was unreal, okay? Nothing like I've ever experienced before. Unreal. And I would speak to my own heart and I would speak to God and I'd say, God, just give me the strength. And I was able to control my physical body, okay, because of that peace, because I knew that God was there with me. And no matter how hard, how difficult the pain was, I was able to keep myself mentally and physically under control because I knew God was there with me and helping me through it all. You have to understand, I couldn't take, you know, you, you say, well, you went to the pharmacy, you got this medicine, but I couldn't take it because I was, anything I would put down was, was coming up. There was, I couldn't take any medication at all. I was in Mexico for the week before and working in 100-degree heat. I was, I was dehydrated before this happened. So I was dehydrated. Then I couldn't eat or drink or, or rest or take any medication for 24 hours. I, couldn't, I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't drink anything. The dehydration was unbelievable. And I was going through all of that. I was going through all of that, but I found strength. I found strength in that through the power of prayer. I found peace through that time of prayer. No matter what I was going through, what I was having to endure, I found strength. There, my friends, there is, there is, there, peace has power. There is power in the peace that God gives you. Peace the peace of God that we can experience as Christians that sometimes is unexplainable, peace that passes all understanding is ours to receive. And it has power, power that is, not, that is something that most people cannot explain. Truth number five, God meets us sometimes where, when and where we least expect it. God meets us when and where we least expect it. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12 says this, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God you experience God in ways that you never thought you would. 
God shows himself in, himself in ways that you, you, never, you've never, you never thought would happen. You think, well, God shows himself in this way, and God will show himself here, and God will show him. God will show himself in the way he chooses to show himself, and many times when and where you least expect it. It's hard to describe, but it's hard to describe what it was like for me when God was speaking to my heart, and I knew that I was not alone. It's hard to put that into words when you know that God is with you in a real way. I mean, literally, I could, I, I mean, I, he's speaking to my heart, and I, it's, I can't describe it in words, but I knew, I knew he was there. I knew I was not alone. Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't, you, you experienced something that you just couldn't put into words, but you just, you, you just knew it was real? You knew you were not alone, but you couldn't put it into words? That's exactly what was going on in my life. It was amazing. To, to, to be honest, it's hard for me to remember the flight from Mexico to Dallas. I don't really remember it at all. I remember I wasn't sleeping, that's for sure, but the, I, I, just some, I just mentally maybe blocked it out. But I certainly remember what happened when we landed in Dallas. That is a vivid, vivid memory. Got off the plane, started walking up that little hallway to get off the plane. I'd make it about 15 or 20 feet. I'd drop down, I'd throw up. I go 15 or 20 more feet, I drop down, I throw up. I got about maybe 50 or 100 yards from where the plane was, and, I'd every, and I would just basically all along the way, drop down, throw up, drop down, throw up. And Deb's, Deb's trying to pull all the luggage through the airport by herself, a strap around her head here, and Josh in the little car seat because she wasn't sure if she would we'd make it all the way home from the hospital, so she needed the car seat, so she had to carry the car seat. And as I was going through... Three guys in suits came up to you. They have cameras everywhere in the airport. And they see people like dropping and throwing up and dropping and throwing up and dropping and throwing up. You know, it draws their attention. So they come out and said, sir, can we get you medical attention? And I was like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, you know, I'm good, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm throwing up every 15 minutes, but I'm, I'm every 15 feet, but I'm good. And they said, well, can we get you a wheelchair? And I thought, I personally, I thought I said yes. Deb told me last night, you did not say yes. You said, what I, what, I, what I would usually say is no. I mean, because the idea of going to the hospital or getting a wheelchair for me was just, uh, you know, uh, I, I'll make it. You know what I mean? Cut my leg off. I'll drag myself through. You know, I'm not going to, I don't need anything. And she said, she looked at me and said, uh, sweetie, we've only gotten about, you know, 50 yards from the gate. We have to get all the way to our other gate. You ever been in Dallas, the Dallas airport? Okay. It's not like Dayton. Okay, you know, you, you get off the plane date and you walk 15 feet and your people are like, hey, you know, in Dallas, you have to go through all the way through. It's like a city. She said, we're not going to make it if you don't take this wheelchair. So I got in the wheelchair and a gentleman, a young gentleman, a uh, lot of enthusiasm, got me in that wheelchair and he was wheeling me through and Deb put one of the bags on my lap, which is, I think was her reason for me getting a wheelchair. Get with those, you know, it's like she put that bag on my lap and I, I literally, I remember sl I just slumped over the bag um, probably drooling or something, and he wheeled me through all the, all the checkpoints and security and getting our bags, and I can't believe they let me through there, too, because I don't remember anybody really saying anything to me. I think I held my passport up and just kind of dropped back down. He, we, every, every, I remember this. Every time I saw a bathroom, he had to stop, because every time I saw a bathroom, I'd be in there throwing up and throwing up, and, uh, and so we got all the way through. We got all the way through this experience, um, and it was, it was truly, truly amazing, truly amazing. Uh, the, the gentleman who was pushing me in the wheelchair was not supposed to take me beyond a certain point, but there was no one there waiting, and he wanted to make sure that we were getting to our gate, so he broke the rules 
which I found out because the other wonderful people who usually push people in the wheelchairs were cursing at him as he was going through, and he was yelling back, I wasn't going to leave this guy uh, at, sitting there. He's, you know, he's really in pain, and he needs to get through. And they were yelling at him because you know, he had broken the rules and kept on going through. I was thrilled at death because this dude can move. You know what I mean? Um, and you ever, you, ever, you ever go in the airport, and they got those little carts that you go through? I should have jumped on one of those. But they ha- if you look really close, there's like little X's on there where they hit people. You know what I'm saying? It's like they have their own little you know, cart thing, and they just nail you. They don't care. It's like they, ha- they must have, have immunity, some kind of diplomatic immunity. So I went through all the way through the airport with this guy, got me to the gate. Oh, my gosh. I was so thrilled. Got to the gate. Um, and what a, what a wonderful thing for me because I finally reached my destination and I saw a bathroom and back into the bathroom I went. But God was waiting for us at the gate. God was there. He was already there. Um, I'll tell you something. I went into the bathroom and um, I was praying quietly to God. So you have to, we get through the airport. We get in there. Place is packed. The gate is packed. I, I just get up immediately and go, and, uh, and go into the bathroom. And I'm sitting in the bathroom, and I'm saying to myself very quietly, God, help me. Just, I just saying really quietly, God, help me. God, help me. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice, Jeff Greer. Okay? Male voice, Dallas, Texas. I don't know anybody in Dallas. I, Jeff Greer. I'm like, yeah. He goes, how you doing in there? I said, I've been better. He said, uh, I'm out here praying for you. I said, Thanks. Who is this? <laughs> Honestly, I was like, you know, here's a guy out there. I'm praying for you. And I said, who is this? And he said, Michael. And I was like, Michael. It's like, yeah, they're com- he's coming for me. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, honestly, I thought, I, I, I thought my time was done, but I, I really thought that I would go out in more of a blaze of glory than hanging in a toilet bowl, you know what I mean, in some airport. I'm thinking, Lord, I mean, at least maybe in Africa, I'm an old man walking along with a couple of kids, and I dropped. I freaked them out, but at least I go out in a blaze of glory doing something amazing for God, you know, not hanging over a toilet throwing up. But I said, you know, who is this? And he said, Michael. Michael, and I was just, holy mackerel. I was thinking at the time, this is, this is, this is just totally incredible. I don't, I don't really know anybody here. But you know, when you're in that much pain, you're not really thinking about too much. Um, but you know, one of the things I thought about when I was writing this was that a lot of you right now probably feel like your life is in the toilet. I mean, we are going through a really difficult time in our country for a lot of host of reasons. There's so much stress. There's so much strain on families right now. I mean, so many people are sick. Have you noticed the last four, even four, three or four weeks at church? I mean, how many people are out? I mean, how many people, I mean, people are going through sicknesses, financial difficulties. I mean, it's really difficult. I mean, I'm going to just say to you, I know your life may feel like it's in the toilet right now, but if you feel that way, what you need to do is the same thing that I did. You need to reach out and say, God, help me. You know, God, be there for me. Be with me. God, help me through this time. Help me through this time of my life. And he will meet you where you are. He will meet you where you are. He met me in a bathroom in an airport in Dallas, Texas. He met me all along the way. God will meet you where you are. Michael was there when we got to the airport. Michael was there when we got to the gate. This is... This is totally, this is incredible for, for, for me and for our family. Michael was there when I didn't notice it, but when, when we came in, Deb said, she told me this last night, she said, when we walked in, the place was jam-packed. There was no seats available. You know, you go into those gate areas and people are waiting for their flights, nothing. She said, I turned around to look on the other side. When I turned back around, two seats were open on the very end, and there was a man standing there. 
And so I went over and I wheeled, she said, I wheeled you and put you next to us. So we had three seats in a row, the two seats that are open in, your, in the wheelchair seat. I immediately didn't notice or think of anyone or anything else. I didn't know there were two seats available or not available. I got up and went right to the bathroom where I met Michael in the bathroom. But before that, Michael had opened up somehow those two seats opened up and he was standing there and he, ushered, he told you know, Deb to come over and sit here. Josh started singing the B-I-B-L-E, and Michael started singing back, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-A-S-D-I-A-N, and that's how they got to know each other, and Michael said to my wife, Debbie, can I help your husband? Can I go in and help your husband? And she said, absolutely, go in. He's been in there for a while. You can go in, and that's when he came in and said, you know, Jeff Greer, and I started talking to him. Michael was an absolutely amazing, amazing um, person, um, he, what, he would start, what he started to do, now, I forgot to tell you this, um, when we got to Dallas, we had an eight-hour layover, okay? And I was like, you're in so much, it was such an agonizing experience that I didn't even like register how much agony I began for the next eight hours sitting in an airport with not being able to drink or eat or anything, and I'm just, it was just unreal. And Michael, what Michael started to do when we got there, eight-hour layover, and there were six people in front of us waiting for the, there was an earlier flight going out in about an hour. And Deb was trying to get up there and they said, no, no way, no how, it's not gonna happen. Michael started going up to the counter time after time and he was asking for tickets and he'd come back and he said, you know, I, I got one ticket. And, and then when he came back, someone said to him, he said, uh, sir, I wouldn't leave your bags there. And I'm going to tell you exactly what he said because when he said it, Deb said every, she, every time she thinks about this or she says it, she gets goosebumps because the, the lady said, sir, I wouldn't leave your bags. And he said, nothing will happen to my bags. And it wasn't, it was like a Jedi. You ever see the Jedi? He's like, nothing will happen to my bag. You know what I mean? They just kind of tell you that. And you're like, you know, it was like the guy said it with absolute certainty and authority. Nothing will happen to my bags. And he kept on walking away. And no concern for the bags whatsoever. Just stated a fact and just kept on going back up. So Michael was going back up. He'd get one ticket. And then Michael would go back up and he would find another ticket. And he went through this and, and he kept going back and forth for the next few minutes to try to get those tickets. And they called for final boarding. There's only two tickets, you know, I have to give them to somebody else because we had three people and no one's staying and, you know, none of us could stay there alone, obviously. So we were thinking, well, eight hours, it's okay. Michael goes back up to the, to the, the counter. He comes back when they talk about final boarding. He comes back with all three. I got, I got you three tickets, he said. You're good. You guys are good. He, he said, let me get your stuff together. He got all our stuff together. He got us onto the plane. He got us onto the, the, air, the, the walkway down there. And as we're walking down to get on the plane, the, the flight attendant says, that gentleman, Michael, gave up his seat for you. He'll be flying eight hours later. So he said, he was basically, she said he's giving up his seat. Now, you call me whatever you'd like, but you know what? I think Michael didn't need a plane to fly. That's my personal opinion. I, I don't. I don't. I wish I, I honestly, before, before the Lord, I wish I could have called and, and gotten his name and figured out if he was actually a person to be on the flight in the first place, but they don't give you passenger names or anything. So it's just one of those things you take by faith or you don't. Um, but I got on that plane. I can tell you this. I got on the plane. My pain went away the entire flight. It was the first time I could sleep for 20, in 24 hours. He prayed, and I didn't feel any pain on that flight for the, for, the, for the entire flight back to, it was actually Dayton, and I slept for the first time in 24 hours. When I got off that plane, Kim and Jen were, were there to meet us, but so was my pain. I'm telling you, as soon as I get off that plane, off that plane here, it comes again. 
You know, I'm sorry, but I, again, one of those thank you, God. Uh, there's one thing in an airport where you can get to the bathroom very easily uh, when you're in that kind of pain and agony. But imagine being on a plane stuck in the middle of like two people, whatever else, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, in that kind of agony. Uh, uh, thank you, God, that I was able to be out of pain until I got home. Because once you're home, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but once you're home, you're on your home turf. There's a difference between being on your home turf. You know, all I wanted to do was get on home turf. You know what I mean? Get in Cincinnati. That's home. And once I was home, the girls were there waiting for me. I had reinforcements. You know, we got in, they got us into the car, and they were able to take us to the hospital. Truth number six, a faithful walk produces blessing. Listen to me. A faithful walk produces a blessing. Psalm 40, verse 4, blesses the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. My children are my greatest blessing. I don't, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens in my life, whatever I achieve before that, my children are my greatest blessing. Living for Jesus Christ has given me a legacy. It has given me something that, that money can't buy, that you can't is given me a legacy, my family. When I, was, when I was in the waiting room in the hospital, I'm sitting in that waiting room, ready to go and trying to get a room. And when I was in the hospital room, I could see my future, my friends. I could see my future, and I was not afraid. I could see myself as an old man, and I'm going to tell you something. I am not afraid. I'm not afraid what my life looks like when I get old because I have a legacy of a family around me who I know is going to be caring for me. You know, it's amazing. The, the nurse asked me, um, she said, Mr. Greer, do you feel safe at home? That's what she asked me. And I thought she was, I seriously thought she was joking. Okay, you're in this hospital, they sit in front of you. And that was one of the questions, name and your dress and your blah, blah, blah. Mr. Greer, do you feel safe at home? I, I, I laughed right in her face because I thought she was joking. Picture this. I have my wife tickling my hair, okay, rubbing my hair. I have one daughter holding my hand. I have another daughter rubbing, Jen's rubbing my, my shoulders. And Josh is asking when we're going to eat next. You know, two out of three ain't bad. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I'm, I'm sitting there and they're asking me if I feel safe at home. But the reason they ask the question is many people leave a legacy of fear, okay, and abuse, that's what they have to look forward to. And they ask that question because a lot of people don't feel safe at home because the people who are at home don't make them feel safe. It is a legacy that we can build as believers in Jesus Christ. So the girls took me right to the hospital where I was given medication that helped me to stop throwing up for the first time in 24 hours. Oh, my goodness, the relief of that. I threw up, I threw up so, so many times and so hard I don't know if you've ever seen this happen before, but the whites in my eyes had turned bloodshot red. I, I broke the blood vessels in my eyes because I threw up so hard and so often. I couldn't believe it. My eyes were just both red from, from throwing up. It was absolutely incredible. So the fact that I didn't throw up anymore was a very, very, very good thing for me. When I was given the IV, they got in that hospital. I never had that happen, like going to hospital and have to give you an IV and all that kind of stuff. But they gave me the IV and they told me they were giving me medication. Um, they told me that, and I, I did something that I hadn't done in this entire experience. I mentally let down, because I thought, all right, I'm, I'm on my home turf, I have an IV in my arm, I'm safe. And they gave me the pain medication, but I thought that it would work faster, so I started to relax. Big mistake for me. Now, I was told it's a combination of the medications they gave me, but I also believe with all my heart that for the first time in all that experience, I mentally let down. I know I took my eyes off and the focus off of, okay, God help me through this. And I just said, okay, I'm safe now. You got me through. And I mentally let down. And I did, because the whole time I was controlling my physical body with my mind. <laughs> Big mistake 
my feet started to shake, my legs started to shake, my torso started to shake, my body started to shake, my, the muscles in my back started to, to tighten up like I'd never experienced it before, all the way up to the top of my head. And I'm thinking, I promise you, I'm thinking to myself, one of two things is about to happen. Um, I'm about to either pass out or I'm going to have convulsions, one or the other. I have, I've never had that happen to me before. And right when it was at the worst pain I was feeling the entire time, I was in agony, and my body was shaking, Deb looked up at the clock, and she said, we would have been getting on the plane right now in Dallas. And I was... And when she said that, the next moments, the moments that followed, my body stopped shaking. I started to, obviously, the medication, I'm sure, was started working. But my body stopped shaking. I was calm. I was beginning for the first time in a long time to relax. Still in a lot of pain, but I was able to relax. And that would have been the time when I was at the height of my agony. That would have been the time where I was getting on the plane. I would have never made it on the plane from Dallas to go through eight hours of that. Never made it on the plane. But that would have been the time I was getting on the plane. Um, Incredible. I, I can tell you this one thing. Uh, my faith is stronger than any meditation, any medication anyone could give me. Hey, my faith in God, what God got me through, the faith that I have in Jesus Christ um, is stronger than any medication. There's nothing that can happen in life that God can't help you get through. There's nothing in this life that God will not give you the strength to overcome if we just depend on him. They took me to the x-ray room and told me that to put my hands, <laughs> this I'll never forget, they took me to the x-ray room, okay, and I'm in agony. They told me, put my hands behind my head and pretend I'm laying at the beach. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, yeah, laying at the beach after I was stung by jellyfish, eaten, bitten by a shark, and almost drowned. Then I can be, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I, honestly, she said, just put your hands behind your head and pretend you're at the beach. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, just pretend you have a brain. How can anybody say that? I mean, think about it. Put your hands behind your head. I was like in a fetal position. They want to just relax and stick your hands behind your head. You know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. They say, they say that, um, well, the doctor came in, and this is what she basically said. She said, she walked in the room, and she, and she smiled at me. She's kind of laughing. She said, Mr. Greer, I'm really sorry. You passed three stones. You passed three. And I said, is that a record? Because I wanted to, if I'm going to have go through this, I want to I have a record, a hospital record. They say, they say passing a kidney stone is like having a baby. I think it's like Charlie Brown having a baby. I got a boy. I got a girl. I got a rock. That's what I got. I got a rock. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, that's what you get. I felt like I was being stoned, really, the entire time. This is, this is no, I mean, at least when you have a baby, you get something from it. I got, I got pummeled from it. You know, I was able to go home on Saturday, and uh, they told me that I should rest. But any, more than anything else, I wanted to be with my church family. It's not because I had to preach the next day. I didn't. I just wanted to be with my church family because I had been through this incredible experience. And I wanted to, I wanted to spend that time with my church family because, because I just had gone through an amazing two days. And it was hard. It's hard to explain, but I wanted to worship God with all of you. A lot of people were praying for me. I'd just been through that. I, I wanted to, because if, if God would not have been a part of that experience, you think that's a horrendous story? Picture, just think for a moment, all the miraculous things not happening, no one helping me in any way possible, just going through all of that without God. I wanted to get to church and I wanted to celebrate, celebrate being a Christian because this is the greatest life you can have 
being a follower of Jesus Christ. I wanted to celebrate with this church body being a Christian. You know, some of you have been coming for the past few months and you've heard me. We've been talking about this apologetics and you've listened to me argue for the existence of God. But I'm going to tell you, there's more to the story than there's some God out there. I can easily prove to you intellectually that God exists, but he's not some God out there. God is real. God is personal. And over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, I want to, using the arguments with Anne-Marie, I want to introduce you to that God. That is what we're going to do. We're going to stay on topic. We're going to keep working through apologetics. But I want to twist it a little bit during Christmas, and I want to introduce you personally to that God. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to worship you today. I pray, dear God, that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would make yourself clearly known to every single person here, that we would not, Lord God, overlook what you do in our lives, the way you intervene in our lives. And God, we want to thank you and praise you for it. We know you're real. We know you're personal. We know you love us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.